Hello and welcome to Machine Learning, a pod about the machine from Pod Against the Machine, the only podcast with a supplementary podcast with a 25 word title. I am once again host, Jero, as always, and joining me are clockwise from my Skype window, Jeff. Hello. Izzy. Hi. And Sam. Who has muted himself. Oh, no, I have. <laughs> no, you're uh, fine now, but I just saw you smile as though that was an audible <laughs> greeting. Oh, I, I said a, I did a funny joke. Oh. And you all missed man. it. It was right. so, do it again. so good. No, it's the moment you can't passed. Just do it again. <laughs> Dance, monkey. Bear and robot. Um, oh, there it is. There it is. <laughs> you said the thing. You just doxed me. <laughs> so we are here to as always do a little bit of a recap of our episodes from the month of october starting with episode 42 team feels and thickwids everybody's favorite new word uh webster dictionary's word of the year 2021 thickwids the episode started off with a Rather interesting and possibly kind of sad, depending on how the stuff that we didn't hear about afterwards worked out. Little vignette of Brixby in his youth. We saw him and who appears to be his brother, a another Yasoki named Foof, who were looking for some, basically some scrap and some junk tunnels. They find some kind of weird robot and then the tunnel collapses and we don't know for sure but it seems like Brixby's brother may have possibly died in the collapse so that's kind of a little bit of a sad backstory we know Brix has mentioned before that he has had family issues in his past what did those of us here today think about on listening to that little intro There's also, in one of the early episodes, maybe like two or three, uh, when Brix and Kira are talking about Parda, and he mentions, like, I'm pretty sure something like, I lost someone close to me underground, like, (gasps) is what I thought when I heard that. And then, oh, and then I was like, well, it's a podcast. But then I was like, oh, but it's sad still. So that was sort of the full spectrum of emotions for me Mm -hmm. in my own personal life. But what we don't know is whether he lost somebody like hide and seek or he lost somebody like the deceased. It's true. So that, that hasn't been clarified. I think that's still up <laughs> under interpretation. Someone could still be down there just waiting to be found. Yeah. yeah. True. He's going to show up with a uh, Phantom of the Opera mask in book three. No, I'm just <laughs> thinking that Portlandia scene where the guy with a long beard comes out who's like, been successfully hiding for all these years. No one's ever found him. <laughs> oh, I know that one. As always, Zach crushed it. Hopefully not crushed his brother. Maybe a poor choice of words. <laughs> Zach did a great job and, and no one no one was crushed. <laughs> it, was, it was good. Yay. I'm done. I can't really comment on my feelings on the reveal because, you know, I know what's going on. And I'm just saying that basically to taunt everyone who doesn't know what's going on. All right. Uh, So in the episode proper, we uh, start searching the fort that we had recently cleared out of these strange crusaders who had some kind of horrible thing done to their mouths. Some of them had guns. One of them had an axe for a hand. The whole thing was just crazy, but we took care of them last episode. That's a last month thing. This month, we start by looking through the fort. We see there is a bunch of things that have been burned down and destroyed. Some of it looks old. Some of it looks very recent. And we eventually find a very creepy-looking chapel from which we hear some odd crying noises. 
that I want to give a big shout out again to Zach for the amazing special effects, <laughs> the sound editing for the crying for the ghost, which is what we find. We discover a ghost of what appears to be possibly a crusader in the chapel. He seems to very much not like Saren Ray, and he is mourning somebody named Justinia. What did everybody think upon us discovering this uh, creepy ghost in the chapel? Dragon Age 3. <laughs> no, no one else? No, that's that's 110%. I just kept thinking that one over and over again. Oh, but also like, oh, I hope we don't die. I also thought that. I was just going to say, mad props to Zach. That was all his Foley work in the post-production edits. Real good stuff. But yeah, here's this opportunity where... It, it feels like Asher has these moments of, like, aha, I am going to diplomatize a robot and fail. I'm going to diplomatize a ghost and fail. Maybe we'll see other opportunities where Asher tries to diplomatize, like, a potential mini-boss and maybe get a chance to succeed or fail. Who could say? But you can't fault the guy for trying. Unless you do, but that would be misguided unjustified it was pretty fun you know starting this campaign in book one and thinking like all right let's uh let's prepare to fight six books of robots and then we really fought relatively few robots compared to other things and here we are facing down a ghost so i didn't expect it loved it caught me by surprise book two is wild continues to be a real fun ride i think my first thought anytime we face a ghost aside from Dragon Age is, um, oh no, now what? I don't have a whole lot of experience fighting ghosts my own self or in games, but the last time we did was like in our second playtest game, and I just remember being like, I can't hit this, what do I do? So I'm glad that wasn't, I still didn't hit any of this, and in fact, that actually ended up not going super great for Kira, but it's like fine. She's not afraid of ghosts, and that's a big deal. I'm pretty sure that's one of the things that makes you eligible for being a Ghostbuster. It's true. A fun fact about this particular ghost is there's actually a little note in the book that says this might be too hard. You might want to just drop hints about this guy and take him out entirely. But I figured you all could handle him. Yeah, we did fine. We definitely uh, didn't, to continue on, have three of our four party members fail a save against his uh, frightening cry or whatever that ability was and immediately flee the room, leaving Kira to get horribly injured. It worked out. But, yeah, not uh, super great. Though, we did discover after the frightened wore off and Kira got out that the ghost didn't seem to want to follow her out. Uh, Vargas attempted to bait it out a little bit, too. Couldn't get it to come out. And we pretty much ended the episode with the group kind of huddling together trying to figure out what to do next whether we should leave whether we should stay and try to fight the ghost that almost killed us what on earth we need to do and that was pretty much it for episode 42 so then that takes us in to episode 43 ghost tears for fears with the alternate title of uh, stories from the big chapel so the opening for this one was a little vignette of apparently the birth, or maybe you would call it the awakening, of Mianda, the android who was the boss of the first book. She wakes up out of some kind of weird pod or cryostasis or some other crazy thing. Everything around her is on fire, there's a bunch of dead Yasoki. And she feels apparently Hellion calling to her. She immediately knows his name. She knows where to go to get to him. Very strange. What everybody think of uh, hearing that little bit of backstory about the character? I didn't see it coming. <laughs> I don't have any insight into what the intros are going to be a lot of the time. Sometimes we'll kind of track it ahead of time. But this was one where I got to be surprised. Just as surprised as our listeners. It's like, ooh, ah. It's cool. Sam's doing a heck of a bang-up job building this world and fleshing out enemies and NPCs and making them really real. And uh, this was a lot of fun to listen to. Yeah, it makes uh, me as the player wonder 
if that means that like she's got more import in the story like oh there's a bunch of other androids that look exactly like her that are just so are we gonna fight more of her in the future are there like 12 other <laughs> mayandas that are wandering around out there that we're also going to be running into or is it sort of like the backstory for the Hisatha where it's just a neat little bit of world building and you never really know with Sam whether he's foreshadowing something or whether he's just giving us some interesting stuff on the world. It could be canonically planting the seed that like BSG, the reboot, she is a model and we're going to see more of like number seven, which is Mayanda. It's like, oh, but they don't know they're all Mayandas. Or do they? And I can't read to read the graphic novel adaptation. <laughs> oh, so good. By first second. They don't know it yet. They don't know it yet, but they'll be picking us up shortly. You're right there with the McElroy's. We're going to have to change the names of everything like this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so in the episode proper, we start off with everybody pretty much where we left off the last episode, huddling out in the hallway. Everybody's licking their wounds. Asher heals the party back up to full as he is designated to do. That's <laughs> the only thing we have that's close to a healer. And we eventually... After attempting to talk to the ghost a couple more times and failing again, Vargas decides to test out a theory and stand slightly outside the door and hit it a few times. And it doesn't chase him. So he then proceeds to stand there for about the next probably hour and a half in-game time and maybe about the next 10 minutes in the actual podcast and just hit this ghost until it eventually uh, disperses. And since it's a ghost, we know it's temporary, it'll show up again later, but we got enough time to search the chapel and get all that sweet loot, which doesn't exist. The chapel is entirely empty. This ghost apparently just existed to kill the party and for no other reason. And be sad. He's a flavor ghost. Thanks, Nicholas Logue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, what wasn't empty, however, was a storeroom that we found upon going back out into the larger fort and after attempting a couple of diplomacy checks through the door which were only answered by these weird muffled sounds we open it up and discover four crusaders who are tied and gagged inside their leader is a man named captain cracklos and he gives us a nice big info dump he tells us that the fort had been attacked by a gang called the Smilers. They killed most of the garrison, with several of them dying in the process as well. The Smilers that survived tied up the Crusaders that survived, and were planning to turn the fort over to the Lords of Rust as a kind of gift. He also tells us that most of the kind of old guard gangs within Scrapwall have fallen on hard times as the Lords of Rust have taken over basically everything and gives us a little bit of information on both the Smilers who are led by a necromancer named Marrow who apparently melts off the faces of the members who join her gang hence the smiling mouths and the Lords of Rust are led by a barbarian named Kalgara. And they also apparently have an Etten and a troll in their employ, so that's a little scary. What did everybody think of just kind of the little info that we got about the kind of people that we may be facing further on? Uh, let's start with uh, Zach. I think it's interesting in the like Paizo adventure path model where they do that thing in the beginning of the book where they're like, and here are all of the bosses you're going to face. So, I mean, I kind of enjoyed that because I've, I've created all of these like presuppositions about like their powers and what they look like and, and they're all going to likely be smashed. Just like all of my dreams in the Scrap Masters arena. On to you, Jeff. Oh, I thought that was going to go a different direction. Like, oh, like your face next time you walk through a door. Uh, yeah, oh, it's it really helps fill in the picture of Scrap Wall from just being like town of scrap to really putting starting to put names to these gangs and and give us some details about just how how super not. It's not like a we're, we're gangs, but we're all like civilized people. 
like, oh, fisticuffs settle all disagreements. It's more like, <laughs> oh, you want to join our gang? Do you like your lips? Like, it's it, it's pretty uh, <laughs> dark and visceral, and I don't know. I was just talking earlier, Zach obviously knows because he was here the whole time, how <laughs> I, you, we start off thinking we're going to fight just a whole bunch of robots and have fought very few of them. And then we fight a ghost, and then we start hearing, like you're saying, bosses, eh? Oh, cool, cool. I'm sure we're not going to have to fight this. Etten, Necromancer, Troll. Uh, but if we do, that'd be pretty cool. It just really gives you a, a sneak peek of, of what is beyond those scrap constructed doors. I really want a chainsaw. Gosh, I really want a chainsaw. I don't have a whole lot else to say. I guess I like having sort of a roadmap because it feels like a video game in my head and I'm generally better at those than just like uh, open world TTRPGs in general. But like mostly I want a chainsaw and that is my primary takeaway. My second is like, oh, I wonder what an Etten is. And then, and then I thought maybe I'll not look it up and be pleasantly surprised or unpleasantly surprised. Also, I want a chainsaw, and that's what I—that's what I've got. Um, Sam, do you have thoughts? Yeah, Sam, uh, what's your thoughts on uh, what the party learned at the end of the episode about the people in Scrapwall? I'm super excited about all the new friends that you're gonna make in the Lords of Rust. They're really friendly and they're fun, and they like to dance and hang out. I just think you're all going to be the best of friends, and there's going to be a lot of hugging, probably, like, several hug-centric episodes. Is it a cultural dance? It might be. If so, Asher's the only one who knows it. Uh, I love how I've never lived down that cultural dance when it was a fake-out that, like, Izzy slash Kira was like, Let's, should we do a dance? And then nobody danced but Asher. It's really got legs. And it's like, man, that idea Asher had was so cool. Ah, yes. That's the first and last pun I will ever deliver on this show. <laughs> we can cut that one out. That's Patreon. Yeah, that's it's, it's for uh, super listeners or whatever. Super fans. Yeah, let's start paywalling punts. I, I agree with Izzy's model. There'll just be a, lo- a couple seconds of silence every time there's a pun. Yeah, microtransactions. Possibly the reverse. Yeah. You could cut out our puns for a Patreon goal. I don't know which one. We're waiting for marketing. We basically do like riff tracks. The puns are cut out. You have to sync your tracks together and you buy the puns and you play them both at the same time. And then when, yeah. (laughs) So uh, that was basically everything for 43. All right. So that brings us to our next episode. Hello, Clarence. With uh, some fava beans and a nice Chianti. (laughs) And this episode started with a trailer for a uh, very special Halloween event that I'm sure everybody loved and was awesome. So what did everybody think about that amazing trailer for the first, hopefully first and not only, episode of the Brian Identity? It's a banger. It was fun to put together. You guys put some, you know, very normal, normal characters. And of course, Sam with his also very normal character and very straightforward adventure. It was a lot of fun to mm-hmm. set up. Yeah. Yeah. It's an absolute fire. Uh, Sam did a fantastic job. Yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. Uh, the cast was a little more kind of bland and vanilla than our current cast. We only had two real species. Everybody was just kind of plain, but it was a fun little thing anyway. Yeah. And we all heard everything that the GM wanted us to hear and responded, you know, appropriately sure. to that. Mm-hmm. Everything went totally smoothly. And... <laughs> yep. All the sound effects came through to everyone and everything. So after that uh, trailer, the actual episode itself started. The VC4 rested <laughs> up before getting ready to head out from the fort. Brixby did some little... Uh, schooling on spellcraft with Kira and also made her some scrolls so that was kind of interesting just kind of like he did with Vargas a few episodes before that just kind of like sharing knowledge between the spellcasters and just everybody kind of 
getting more used to using each other's powers and abilities to help each other and everything. Totally. And, um, I don't know the, uh, like the synergy that comes between prepared and spontaneous arcane casters with things like this is great because I can theoretically with enough time pump out low level scrolls pretty quickly. Cause, um, I mean, once you get into like level two scrolls, we're talking like closer to a day, but like you can bang, you know, level one scrolls out in an hour for like a marginal cost. And for someone like Kira, who doesn't get a lot of spell slots to start with, that really can, you know, keep her going throughout the day. We don't have a lot of buffing in our party because like Asher handles most of the healing um, without having to do that too much, thank goodness, because he already has four jobs. So this is my best attempt at contributing to that a bit so then we left our horses behind with the uh express demand that the paladins abandon their post and go uh, bring them back to torch so we can get our security deposit back and we headed out to Scrapwall on foot where we discovered that no this was not an exaggeration or a turn of phrase the entire city is literally just a giant wall of garbage and we discovered a giant gate of garbage. And luckily for us, the people who happened to be guarding that gate were members of the Steelhawks. So that was kind of fortuitous. We asked them some questions. We discovered the guy we were hoping to meet, Verizio, was dead. He is no longer in charge of the Steelhawks. But we did discover that uh, a woman named Severa is sort of like a middle management type person within the group. So uh, we went and talked to her and she gave us a bit of a quest. She said, hey, our current leader is a guy called Bird Food, which I love that someone calls themselves that, like it isn't a horrible nickname someone <laughs> else gave. And she says, he claims to be a former smiler, but he's definitely still just a smiler. <laughs> and as far as we're concerned, the smilers took us over. Kill him, put me in charge, and we'll help you. Uh, so, what everybody think about coming to Rapwall itself finally and meeting the first of these uh, colorful warriors-style gangs? No nickname strikes as much fear as Taserface, except maybe Bird Food. We were—I was quaking in my in my boots, man. No, um, it was fun. The whole Asher trying to like sound like a tough guy to talk to the leader for me was fun to play like even <laughs> towards the end when he was like nice meeting you i mean yeah whatever like it was just like he, he's too nice <laughs> but he's trying hard to like act tough was just fun the um, the fact that we were met with this like immediate tension of like i got passed over for the promotion uh, after my boss was beheaded you know that thing that we've all experienced in our <laughs> professional lives mm -hmm. Maybe not personally, but like we know somebody who has passed over for yeah. post-decapitation promotion. And like any seething middle management, with the only way out is to you know pay blood with blood. Yeah, I think it was kind of interesting that despite the fact that the Smilers are doing this like covert or overt takeover of the Steelhawks, that the Steelhawks still control the gate, which was, like you said, really fortuitous for us because it would have been pretty terrible if we had rolled up and there was just like eight smilers on the gate, you know? Mm -hmm. We've already done that once before. It worked out okay, but it, it was a lot better that we were able to actually get inside and then formulate our devious plan. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh, and I also forgot, we were also introduced <laughs> to the fifth member of the Very Capable Four, Clarence, <laughs> the brawler, uh, the shirtless wonder. Clarence the shirtless wonder, <laughs> Clarence, uh, killer of birds, though that doesn't quite happen yet. He's a man of many titles, wears many hats, but no shirts. Uh, and he is looking forward to him being a really long-time powerful ally for the rest of this entire adventure. Uh, your thoughts on Clarence, Sam? Really burying the lead there. <laughs> well, you know, Clarence is 
they devote like six whole pages to him in the book. So I really felt like it was important to get him involved early. You know, just the level of detail of his backstory that they go into. And it's it's really a poignant rags to shirtless riches kind of story. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, Clarence is fun. He's just kind of one of those spur of the moment things. He's not really in the book. What? But, yeah, I was going to say, did he even have a name in the book, or is he just, like, Steelhawk Thug, Steelhawk thug number two? Yeah, they don't they don't even have a pawn in the, in the books or the pawn collection. But, um, like, obviously, Severoth isn't the only person in the Steelhawks ba- base who's going to speak. So just sort of became a thing, and, you know, he was fun. They did the sort of Richmond from the IT crowd voice for him, and it stuck. <laughs> Yeah, Clarence is, uh, whew, he's he's clearly the star of book two, if not the whole AP. Yeah, I mean, we're truly, we're side characters in his story <laughs> at this point. It's an honor to fight alongside him. And then the uh, last thing that happened to kind of finish up the episode was we formulated our brilliant plan to take down bird food. Completely original plan, by the way. Not sourced from anywhere else. Yeah, no. Uh, the plan that we came up with ourselves, I believe uh, the unique original <laughs> name that Jeff came up with for it was the Wookiee Prisoner Ploy, which I believe we've now trademarked. I think that is a uh, uh, pot against the machine mm-hmm. trademark term now. Yeah. But PM, it was PM, PM. the idea to basically pretend that Clarence had captured us at the gate and was going to go present us to bird food, at which point we would reveal as a surprise that, hey, we're not actually captured, and then we kill him. So that was the plan, and it seemed to work towards the end of the episode. We made it past a couple of random guards. Uh, I think they were mostly like orcs and stuff similar to the ones we fought in book one, but we bluffed our way past them. And we ended the episode standing outside of Bird Food's door. An important interjection of clarification. Our plan, our plan, being, you know, we're talking about a plural, to kill him, wasn't necessarily every person's plan in the party. Now, to gain entry, sure, to get to the chambers of Bird Food, but then perhaps by our sheer number and martial prowess, we could resolve this in such a way that doesn't end up with all the mass murder may have been the goal all along of the only good and lawful member of the party i mean and it could have worked he could have been a savvy enough businessman to make a deal with us or he could have been somebody that realized like hey there's four people in here that are clearly a higher level than i am i I should make a deal i know i guess we'll have to find out next episode (laughs) yeah Nothing says business savvy quite like cutting parts of your face off. (laughs) Okay, so that brings us into the final episode of the month. Bird Puncher, The Legend Reborn. (laughs) We get a uh, little vignette at the beginning of Captain Cracklose, who we haven't seen in a few episodes. He was the commander of Algernard's Grave, the fort that got attacked by the Smilers. We see a little thing of him writing a letter to the captain commander of his order asking for reinforcements. And then we pop into the episode where we spend the first uh, good little bit debating whether or not this strategy that we've already pretty heavily committed to. I believe at this point half of our group already has our hands tied behind their back and everything. And we're still like, is this a good idea? Is this not a good idea? As we pass through probably about half a dozen various Smilers on the way to the uh, throne room. Yeah, but I mean, you know, Clarence is such a silver-tongued snake that he just managed to slide on by all of those sentries and guards. And yeah, we found ourselves right outside the room, um, deeply committed to what we are referring to completely originally as the Wookiee prisoner technique. Um, you know, the, just a, a little quirky thing we like to call it around the office. And uh, yeah, we had committed to those minute by level 
uh, buffs and, and we're just getting ready to jump in and even brought up the merits of grenade diplomacy, which I appeared to be the only proponent of at one time. It was a uh, very interesting debate on the matter, but in the end, uh, word diplomacy won out over grenade diplomacy. At least for a little while. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we went in and uh, they saw through our ruse pretty quickly because it was poorly constructed and ripped yeah. off from a major yeah. motion picture franchise. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, Bird Food had just finished watching Star Wars, <laughs> and he found a uh, old Laserdisc player in the ruins, <laughs> and the plan did not work. We discovered that Bird Food has several pet birds, which makes his name make honestly even less sense to me. And he sicks them on us, along with a other smiler in the room with him and he makes the uh, brilliant idea that really shows off why he was put in charge of this group of wasting one of his small number of human bane arrows to shoot the one of the only two non-humans in the group (laughs) (laughs) and at one point though there was a, a sort of important moment where potentially the battle could have gone a different way oh that's right um asher landed a pretty sweet diplomacy role to potentially de-escalate things with bird food but then it was brix's turn next kira had already been hit and it's unfortunate that jeff isn't here for this one but i think that honestly like it it, it makes sense why asher would want to approach diplomacy i feel like i kind of have to plead brix's case just a little bit but uh yeah no i think that he heard it maybe i mean i think things are pretty chaotic when you have three birds trying to attack and rip it folks and the whole gang just kind of getting to go but i think also um brixby growing up in Chitterhome, which is not it's closer to scrapple than probably any of the other members of the party save vargas's travels bringing him closer to it but also his brief stint of traveling the selen and the seven tier rivers um as uh kind of soldier of fortune treasure hunter he interacted with a lot of gang members and he had a lot of really negative experiences and i think that um specifically organized crime inside shitter home how it related to his father nade who was we'll get to it later but was in the hole for a good deal of money to a lot of bad folks before brixby left shitter home i think there's a there was a lot of kind of simmering rage towards um evil heads of organized crime that maybe won over over the uh, smooth diplomacy that Asher could have provided to that situation. Regardless, the party moved on. And And, uh, you gotta remember too, like, at that point, we were in turn order, and it can be hard to picture it, like, when everybody's stopping and talking strategy and stuff. But this entire thing, the turns of everybody going, happens like simultaneously during a six second time span. So when you look at it from that, like at the same point that Asher is possibly talking down bird food, his birds are eating Kira, and Brixby is seeing this happen. Like it would have been kind of interesting if maybe there were a couple more players in between the two. And maybe it would have been more time for something to happen. But at that point, like like you said, you, he's dealt with a lot of organized crime figures. Asher has been shown before to take people at their word a bit more often <laughs> than some of the other people. Uh, and you just made the call at that point, or Brixby did rather, that, you know what? Don't trust this guy. We're going to finish this fight. <laughs> You're right. And I mean, the other thing to remember, too, is like we were just at Algernot's grave. We Mm. were just like in the midst of a siege of Smilers. Uh, So, I mean, I think that that had really colored our experience. You know, I didn't see much in the way of empathy in this like debt, like drug doing death cult, (laughs) which Mm kind of makes them sound a little metal and cool. But at the same, I mean like, yeah, they just seemed like almost not even 
what, capable yeah. of, of higher brain thought at that point. I mean, they ate their own lips or had them cut off. That's a little unclear. Mm. But. And we had already been told at this point that they were cannibals, too. Totally. So, I mean, I would just imagine whatever sort of peace Asher would make with them would be tenuous at best because in the pursuit of being the biggest and baddest daddy in Scrabble, uh, and I mean the, the royal daddy at that point, not the individual daddy, then, <laughs> yeah, we, we, we absolutely had to clean them out one way or another. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, and that's it, another thing, like, he had an entire base full of people at that point even if he was willing to listen to us it would probably have been like as soon as it came around to the point that the reason we were there to talk to him was to have him give control back over to the real Steelhawks like it was going to be a fight one way or the other no you're right and I mean it, it also really does feel like Mike makes right inside of Scrapwall in a lot of ways mm-hmm. uh, they don't seem to really honor i mean outside of like some of the convania and some of the other folks we've met um but it does also show that asher is an impressive uh statesman like if once we start dealing with hopefully we'll eventually start dealing with people that are kind of less uh thuggish and when that happens that's really going to be where he's going to be able to shine with the kind of diplomacy skills he has no, absolutely. I mean, if I, we've we've been in a small town that was basically a dungeon crawl, and now we're in Mad Max. So, like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, no. I mean, once we're in maybe some place with more of a semblance of civilization, or like, yeah. like you like, said, polite society, uh, he'll be. I'm assuming at some point in this, we're probably gonna go to Starfall, we which at that point, that's like dealing with like Technic League and dealing with like royalty and stuff. That's the kind of people where diplomacy is going to come in a lot more important. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I don't know. In general, he's already been that. that but <laughs> what was your favorite part during that fight? Was it? Honestly, I thought it was hilarious. The uh, stalemate between Jeff and I believe it was Greenbird. <laughs> that just went, that literally lasted longer than the actual boss fight. At the point that we managed to defeat Bird Food, we defeated his reinforcements, we were able to get everything done. Uh, Clarence earned his moniker by single handedly defeating one of the birds himself. I know the, the titular move. And through that entire thing, there is a bird desperately trying to peck at Asher and missing every peck, and Asher is trying to shoot it and missing every shot, and that is just its own fight happening off in the corner of the room. And in my head, it's just like a Monty Python sketch of like somebody with like a stuffed bird on a stick smacking at someone with it or something. No, absolutely. Like, yeah, I had mentioned this in the app, I believe, but you know, also the 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 David Roland sort of funny hawk and gunslinger situation that was going on mm-hmm. for that period of time. Yeah, it was a it was an interesting battle. Uh for Brix's part and in general, kind of never built a character that uses saver suck at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, I mean, the one the, that was your second time and also against Smilers again of just and I'm I'm assuming every combat from now on, Sam is going to just have a 12th level caster teleport in and counterspell. Because <laughs> you took out roughly half of that combat. Just, they walked through the door, color spray. That was... It's, it's, look, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not great to shut down a combat with a saver suck. Um, but at the same time, it can be pretty difficult to i don't know even the odds when you're in a tiny tight room as we've kind of been shown time and again in the first book so yeah i mean i'm gonna get it in while there's still five hit die or less because saver sucks tend to suck a bit more at least be a larger commitment as you get up in uh all right well i think that just about does it for the recap thank you to everybody And we are going to toss it over to Sam for a special little announcement. And then I think, Jeff, I think you'll be the best one to take over for the Q&A because I have to go to Disney. So 
see everybody later and have fun with the rest of the machine learning. Shoot the orb in the sky, blue pondered, was it sent by the lone spouse? Shoot the orb in the sky, blue pondered, or shot with a garbage cannon. There's an orb in the sky, Brian's, there's an orb in the sky. We'll call it in our corporate, an orb's pondering from the sky. It's Gorgadubad Bet and Gold, he's watching from an with his army of alien vultures and his orb up in the sky. Could the brown and urgents run and fly? Is there a skill and spirit of God? To get that orb hot and right for the down from up in the sky. There's an orb in the sky, brothers. There's an orb up in the sky. We're coming in a curve pondering from the sky. There's an orb in the sky, brothers. There's an orb up in the sky. We're coming in a curve from the sky. We're gonna kill it for the cannon. Thanks, Jarrell, and commercial content, which brings us to our most cherished and beloved community engagement section of questions and answers, where if you didn't know and you haven't yet taken the opportunity, in our Discord server we have a channel dedicated to machine learning questions called machine learning questions. So hop on in there and submit a question that we will likely read out loud and answer to your delight and wildest expectations. Also out loud. Also out loud. Which brings us to our first question from Bellandora. Hey, question for the VC4. She didn't say hey, I did. How confident were you in the, quote, prisoners plan? And were you surprised by Asher's high bluff rolls? Well, this presupposes it was a plan, which, I don't know, maybe it was. Jeff, was this it? like you had like this? You're like, I've got a great idea, this. Or you're like, hey, remember Star Wars? Well, as you in a previous Machine Learning guessed that one of my <laughs> my favorite <laughs> movie would be a Star War. It's true. I mean, it's not, but you did guess that. And I, at the time, the player behind Asher, which is me, thought like, oh, this this is going to be great radio. Which is the same as confidence, really. Yeah. So here's the thing. Am I confident in Asher's bluff modifier? Yes. Am I confident in my ability to roll well in clutch situations? Much less yes. I wouldn't say not confident so much as I was like, this is going to happen one way or another, this being, you know, horrific bloodshed and violence. Why not have fun on the way? Did I think we were going to get all the way to the room and then convince bird food to seed the throne or whatever? No. Is that the question you were asking? I don't, I'm unclear. So the answer is, eh. <laughs> I mean, I was not at all confident that you would make it all the way to bird food on the strength of your bluffs. But I guess I just hadn't looked at Asher's character sheet in a while and really thought about the power of, of the bluff modifier. But I was very, very excited about the fact that you just walked through the whole base leaving everything alive. Yeah. Yeah, that was my, my largest concern and realization <laughs> at the end of that episode before we entered the chamber was a uh, oh oh uh i don't know if it's really aggroed if you're not gaining threat but i've certainly gathered the interest of everyone in this base yes izzy is the only other player to satisfy the second half of bellandora's question were you surprised by asher's high bluff rules 
I'm never surprised by Asher's high anything. It's just at this point, what what can't Asher do? Leap over buildings, lie super well. I, I just assume that it's gonna be fine, which is, you know, and I will say part of that I think is my character having been like, oh, Asher can do whatever. But that is transposed or overwritten by Izzy being like, oh yeah, no, it'll be fine. Jeff will roll and it's cool. So, um, was I surprised? No. However, I was uh, very excited, super happy until I too remembered that, oh, now we have to kill all of these people. Uh-oh. But it worked out fine. Yeah, I think the real winner was that if we hadn't done things this way, would Clarence have died and arisen bird puncher? I don't know. I think the ends there uh, somewhat justified the means. Oh. As gross <laughs> as it feels to say that. I think extremely justified. Super justified. Yeah, I don't think there's any chance that Clarence goes on to become the famous legendary adventure and I've actually recently heard from Paizo that they're going to feature him in the next Lost Omens book I think Clarence the legendary bird puncher um so I mean I guess like all's well that ends well classic Clarence I'd like to think that Clarence could possibly team up with that one Yasoki we let go <laughs> after getting questions from him oh, patchy blue and crispy blue yes patchy blue, patchy blue. PPR, that's one. Thank you. Uh, and they will both survive the gap and be parts of the Starfinder universe as well. Who could say that they're not part of Triune? I can't, but I can bring us to our next question from J-Rod, Scrapper, formerly an Izzy. Ooh. Yeah, uh, that one hurt. He asks, what minor monster makes you cringe or smile as a GM? the most in all of Pathfinder slash D&D. And he gives the example of the ghost rats in GCP or possibly the frog that blinded Asher. And then he wants to know, secondly, what bigger monsters do the same. Sam, you're the uh, GM for our pod against the machine. Mm -hmm. We'll start with you. I'm a good host. <laughs> well, I think the monster that makes me cringe as a GM, which is not what was asked, but is what I was just thinking about while you were asking it, is absolutely a quasit. The low-level, flying, invisibility-at-will, DR, yeah. monster-AC, stupid little thing that cannot hurt you. It can never hurt you, but you can't kill it. And it's evil, and it's going to keep trying and doing one damage on you until everyone quits the game. Yeah. And I hate it. So that's my answer. That's fair. I fought one in an AP, and the GM let it get away, and that torments me. <laughs> it's not everyone thanked that GM. No. <laughs> what are the things we fought in the caves that took forever and almost killed us? Which time? That could be anything. <laughs> yeah, okay, not the... Hetuath. Not the rock twice. one. I know that one. Not, not, I know Hetuath. I know the name of that thing and also other... The collector robot? No, no. Nope. Smaller. Oh, the gremlins. Tinier. Oh, yes, gremlins. okay, great. Oh, those were fun. I don't think I've been playing Pathfinder or D&D long enough to have like a, oh, this is annoying. But after that game, I hate those and also anything incorporeal. If I can't hit it with a sword, I don't I don't want to play. Would like to flip the table over and walk away. You're gonna have fun. I wouldn't do that since we've now experienced a very long silence, I'm just saying. I'm just thinking about how much fun you're gonna have later on. Ugh. Yeah, okay. That's fair. No, Paizo doesn't put incorporeal enemies in APs. They would never No. I oh. Wink. Okay, but we definitely fought a ghost like a month ago. Yeah, I was the only one. Mmm. You did it. And we don't know that Paizo put it in. It could have been a homebrew. Probably <laughs> was. that Sam put it. I will say, as a GM, I don't know that it makes me smile so much as uh, I have secondhand cringe and embarrassment. And I fear when my players face, or if I ever have to face, a Varghul. It's a CR2 creature, so I think that kind of fits in the minor. Uh, but a, boy, if you fail, fail a save or two... You have you have a matter of days to get cured. So it's not, you know, it's a sequence of events that has to go badly. But if they go badly in the wrong direction, you will die. Your head pops off your body and turns into a Varghul. That's so, so. cool, though. You know, your head flies around. 
without you because you're dead. Oh, my. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's kind of cool in a morbid way, but oh, man, that would be mine. Solid answer. What about bigger monsters, folks? I'm trying to think. I I haven't played a lot of high-level Pathfinder to know about big monsters, TM. Yeah, again, I only knew that rock thing. Uh, which I don't know what the CR level for that is, but it, in my mind, it is physically large, and so I will count it as such, it, as that thing that almost killed us, you know, the first or second time. Yeah, I think those are CR3, so very, very big. Super big. One I think is pretty fun in a kind of unique way is mummies, which, you know, they um, they have the DR that just lowers damage for everything, but they also have, like, the aura where you panic if you get close to them, so you have to probably have some of the party losing will saves and running away, so then they get all split up, and then um, also, you know, you can get mummy rot, which is a fun disease that is also a curse, which is kind of its own thing separate from everything else, so... And then, you know, a lot of times they have class levels or, like... It's a mummy that is also a dog or something, you know. It becomes a class of monsters that have those same cool features. It's pretty cool. I look forward to it. Yeah, I feel we might have to revisit uh, J-Rod's question after we've done some higher level play to do it justice. <laughs> and circle back in two years. Yeah, when we get to really high levels and you're fighting some absurd things that... <laughs> we'll think back on this. You'd be like, I really like fighting those enemy from book five. Uh, I could see myself times. saying that. To, to share the love of question askers, we're going to go to what seems simple, but could be a controversial question from Crazy Piano Man. Bagels or donuts? That feels like asking, like, do you want pizza or a burrito? You know, they're two different things. If I'm in a pizza mood, I want pizza. I don't want a burrito-shaped pizza or pizza rolled on its side or, you know, a burrito filled with pizza things. I want pizza. So I think, you know, therein, we've established this question is impossible to answer as as plainly as it seems to be laid out. That said, if I were dying and had to make a decision, cinnamon raisin bagel toasted with butter. Yeah, I think I definitely agree with you that this isn't a real apples to oranges situation but more distinct because apples and oranges are at least both fruit. Bagels and donuts, it's like a confection and a not confection. And there's just really no way to put them together. But at the same time, it's bagels all the way. I'm just not really a donut guy. So I pretended that it was a harder decision than it was. (laughs) (laughs) You fooled me. Speaking of bluff jacks, huh? I agree with Izzy's initial objection for sure this is a false dichotomy because one there's there's many choices and two they're definitely mood dependent however if forced to choose as as i'm agreeing to in the context of this question i would also choose bagels i would say uh ideally and they're they're not as common especially out here uh but an egg bagel toasted unless it's very fresh if it's very fresh don't don't toast it it's fine just slice it and throw some uh vegan butter on there Soy-free, dairy-free butter, as we all keep in our fridge. Yeah, uh, Miyoko's brand is highly recommended. Yeah, you're, you're being facetious, but I definitely have dairy-free butter in the fridge right now. No, I, I knew of, of all the people. The only person on the pod who might not is probably Jerome. <laughs> uh, I like melt, and I like earth balance. Um, I haven't tried Miyoko's, oh, but highly recommend. keep it in mind. Better than non-vegan uh, butter. A little pricey, but like not like a lot pricey, though. I would say, as a second choice in bagel, pumpernickel bagel. Oh, mm. yes. Also with a, with a vegan butter. Jeff, we yeah. don't see eye to eye on much, but I can appreciate your bagel choice. Well, I appreciate that because when you said cinnamon raisin, I just saw red for a few seconds. Oh, that's Because we've right. established on pod that my, uh, my raisin uh, loathing is, is pretty high. Yeah. My reflex was like, why would you do that to a bagel? Well, because I, f- I feel like a bagel is the one place that's kind of excellent, you know? Like, obviously, you can't do a cookie or, like, any entree ever. But with, like, a bagel, it is... Oh, that's my go-to. That's my waking up in the morning and I don't want to eat anything, but I know that I should. Cinnamon raisin bagel. Love it. Wow. It's, like, healthy. It's like a fruit, right? 
It's basically a fruit. Basically a fruit. It's the carcass of a fruit that's okay. been destroyed by the sun. But hey, <laughs> agree to disagree. Oh, um, <laughs> all right. I think we probably have time for, what, one more, gang? Yeah, let's go for it. Sounds one more. Sounds good to me. One more. I'm going to go down to... We have so many good questions, folks. We can edit all this dramatic pausing out. I think, although it is somewhat similar to J-Rod's question, that is a little bit more family-specific in that Commodore asks us, onto the main point of the pod, obviously, uh, what is your favorite type of ooze to fight or to run as a GM? sure i think i've maybe fought like a gelatinous cube once and also run it once and both times i was like meh yeah i just as we all know i have strong feelings about oozes and just the word so i really try and skip over those things quickly i feel like i can lean into a gelatinous cube because at least it has some like form and structure and isn't the worst you know let's see is that the favorite yeah, that's going to be my favorite. I think we'll call that my favorite. Is that an ooze? I'm going to call it an ooze. Oh, gosh. Unless ooze is like capital O-O-Z-E-T-M Pathfinder thing. Like, and there's official family of oozes, in which case that's awful. And I refuse to play. It's a creature type. Ugh, gross. Yeah, I mean, I assume, a, yeah, gelatinous cube is an ooze. And mm-hmm. they're just, you know, a classic they're very fun. They can absorb you, and they do the acid damage, and they got, like, stuff floating around in them. It's always fun. Let's see. What's a nice ooze that isn't a, a vampiric ooze is fun? You know, if they kill you, body can turn into a zombie, I think. Not an ooze. They're also, like, I think they suck your blood or something. Or they oh. drain your energy, at least, you know, when they grab you and constrict you. It's fun. It's always nice to just have a bubbling puddle of something or other that kills you and mm-hmm. takes over your mind. Is it? I mean, I felt I thought that was objectively true, but your questioning of it makes me ponder. Yeah, well, if the questioning is all it takes, I'm going to go ahead and say uh, no. Mm. Hard false. Bummer. So those are good ones. I would say, and I haven't encountered a ton of them, but I've listened to actual plays and a black pudding is... Man, if I ever threw one at my players, I mean, immune to where it takes no damage from slashing and piercing weapons, but boy, does it split into two identical puddings (laughs) with half of the current hit points. Uh, And man, just the thought of these poor, poor players thinking like, I can outrun this and it, you know, it suctions, it'll climb walls and it'll just relentlessly follow you. And then you finally say i'll just shoot an arrow at it and it turns into two puddings and you say well i quit the game forever <laughs> it just mwah. scrolling through the list of oozes on t20 pfsrd found one that i'd totally forgotten about that i think is in tyrant's grasp animate hair and it looks like a pile of hair oh no but it can attach to you and psychically oh. communicate with you and order you to kill it can cast murderous command at will and just like make you kill whatever it wants you to kill and it's not very dangerous on its own but it's hair that can control you that's awesome i am both horrified (laughs) and intrigued put that in the game sam but not our game like like a flashback (laughs) well perhaps the very capable four will need to get waxed just to make sure there's no oozes masquerading as hairs, giving murderous commands. Whether or not that happens will be the topic for another time, because that is that is all we're going to answer today. We just need to move some of these forward to the next machine learning to give them the proper attention that they deserve. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm just waiting for this train to pass. I'm not waiting for the train to pass. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, thanks, y'all. Yeah. Yeah, nailed it. Great job, team. Machine learning. Kill command receive.
Hello and welcome back. God, <laughs> we're not coming back. <laughs> okay. Well, it's back One, from the two, break. Three. Hello and. <laughs> Howdy, oh, y'all. <laughs> welcome to machine learning. We're so glad you all are here. Is that Thank a new you, Cletus, character? for the introduction and. Uh, 